All right, if you're getting your coffee in the lobby, come on back in. You're not going to miss any of this, I'm sure of it. Um, let me just say a couple things, and then we'll get our speaker up here. One, for those of you, and there are a lot of you that are here for the first time today, right? So let me just make sure everybody understands where we are with this series. We are doing a series, and we, we do it in July, usually because we figure people won't be here, but wow, like people are here, right? Um, we do this series called At the Movies, and what we do is we, we take... I've learned this year that we have introduced you to movies. We apparently are doing clips from movies that you have never heard of, right? So um, we take these clips and we show them and we show how the gospel is presented in movies that you, well, usually have seen, <laughs> right? And so I'll, I'm just going to set you at ease. Some of, sometimes Christians think that churches aren't deep, because they do things like this, and I'm just going to say, I know my church gets tired of hearing this, but if, if you think stuff like this is not deep, you would have struggled when Jesus picked up the mustard seed and said, look at this little seed, right? He, I said this last week, Jesus takes common things and attaches uncommon truth to those common things. So that every time you see those things, you go, oh, it's a small mustard seed, but the kingdom gets bigger and bigger until it's a tree and it provides shade and places for birds to land and all these things, right? So our, our goal is not to wow you with how we can pick out cool movies because I've, I've already failed at that. Um, the last two weeks, we talked about Apollo 13. And then last week, we talked about Instant Family. And um, every week, there's less and less people that have actually seen these movies. And today, we're talking about Shazam! Right? Come on. Some of them are like, Gomer Powell is coming to church. What's happening? And before we have Cutright come up here, because y'all, we're going to welcome Cutright. You know how we welcome people to the gathering. Right? He's, he's ours, right? He's ours. So we're not welcoming him to the gathering, but we're welcome, welcoming him to the platform to share the word of God with us. I just want to remind our church um, and then Cecil, God really confirmed this this morning with Cecil about tightening the core, right? On our website, we have our core values listed. It's, a, it's just a page called At Our Core. Um, if you go on our website, you can search way, way back to when our church was meeting in the coffee shop. And we did a 13-week series called At Our Core. And we talked about all of our core values. Um, they're all wrapped up in what we call the core four. And here's the core four. We believe in the undeniable message of Jesus, the unbreakable body of Jesus, the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus, and the unexplainable worship of Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, a church that, that buys into that will change a city, probably more than a city. But the one that I want you to know this morning, and I'm really saying this for cut right, is that we value ministry training, listen to this, and expect each member to discover and use their gifts free from the fear of failure. So, um, I mean, Cutright might say no to this, but I'm just telling y'all, Cutright, you, you look at me. You're not going to bomb this, right? I mean, I do that every week, so they're, they're like so excited about this is an upgrade, right? If you come up here and deliver the worst message ever, I'm going to have you preach again, right? Like, that's just going to happen, right? Because our church, our church sees the call in you. We recognize the gift in you. And so there's no fear of failure today at all, right? 
None, unless you're a Tar Heel fan, and that's a problem, but we'll figure that out. So, gathering family. Listen, usually we welcome guest speakers, but you're welcoming one of your own to the platform. Would you stand up and welcome Cutright as he comes to share the Word of God? Yo, we got to start this thing off right. I need everybody to shout, hallelujah! 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 Worthy is our God. Holy is our God. Unmatchless is our God. I know a lot of people, they say, oh my God, you're so loud, but there's a, a joyful noise that's going out right now in heaven. If y'all can't notch the loudness in here, I don't know if y'all ready for heaven. Because heaven, there's a shouting, a rejoicing that's going on, and they're screaming, holy, holy, holy is our God. Holy is our God. Holy is our God. And we cry out with that same voice on today, God. So we thank you, God. We thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for your purpose. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we just ask that on this day, Lord, that all of our expectations get thrown away. And the only expectation that we have is a visit from you, God. That your Holy Spirit would rest upon us, God. That we will be saturated, Lord, with your love, God. May your grace, Lord, be renewed upon us. May we look upon our lives and our past sins and our mistakes, Lord, and throw them away because they are nothing in the light of your love for us. God, we thank you for the great work that you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in me, God. I just bless you. I bless you, God, because you are worthy of all praise, of all honor, and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, y'all. I've been holding that in all morning. I've been, trying to, I've been holding that in for a long time. Oh, what's good, gathering? What's good? You know, when Paul asked me to preach this morning, this week, I said, what? For real? And he said it was going to be on the movies. I was like, say less. You said enough movies. I got you. Shazam. Right? And all y'all, y'all getting to know each other. One thing that you'll find it about me is I'm a super duper comic book fan. Yeah. I love, matter of fact, two of the five things that I love I'm talking about today. Number five, being pro wrestling. Number four, being pop culture and comic books. Number three, being music. Number two, being my lovely, beautiful, gorgeous, brilliant, sexy, sugar baby chocolate thunder, my lovely wife. Yeah. And number one, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The undisputed champion of my heart. Right? So, we look at all these things and who I am. And Paul said to speak. And I'm like, Shazam, it's, it's cool. Because for me, I've always seen comic books. I've always seen pop culture through the lens of scripture. Anybody who's seen Spider-Man, what does Spider-Man say? With great power comes. Right? What's, what's that? To whom much is given, much is required. So I'm saying, so just like Paul said, that we can see the truth of the gospel in the simple things, amen, if we look through the right lens, right? 
So, but for me, Shazam has always been a favorite character of mine simply because I can see the truth of the gospel and the character and the personage and the comic books, so much so that I would go to comic book conventions like Heroes Con <laughs> and I would dress up as Shazam. Exhibit A. Right there, it's here right there. Now, I would have wore that today, but if somebody would have yelled, hey, Kool-Aid, we would have had problems. So I didn't wear it. <laughs> right? But so I love the character because of how you can see the parallel. And as we get into the movie, you'll see the parallels between the life of every believer who calls on the name of Jesus and us. Right? So with that being said, the movie, if you've never seen it, it's kind of like big, but with superpowers. Anybody seen Tom Hanks big? Like, it's classic. It's classic. If you haven't seen it. I'm not, we're not doing a series on We're not doing a series on B? Maybe, okay, I don't know, right? But it's, it's an amazing movie back in the day. It's classic, but big with superpowers. And the plot as we're setting up into this scene, what happens is that we have an evil villain, that Dr. Savannah. He's on the search for power. He's breaking into a place called the Rock of Eternity. The Rock of Eternity is in another dimension. He breaks into there, and he's looking for powerful objects. He's trying to steal things, and he comes upon an object called the Eye of Sin. And with the Eye of Sin, what he does, is, it, it, as he's walking by it, it, it calls out to him. It, it draws him onto it, and, and he picks up the Eye of Sin, and he puts it into his physical body, and the manifestation of the seven deadly sins comes out, and he becomes the master of them, or rather they become the master of him which causes the guardian, Shazam, to say, listen, there's a time of trouble, and I need a hero. So he goes on pouring his search, and that takes us to our first scene. Yeah. Amen, right? So there are two things in that scene, before we even get into our point, that, that pops out, that popped out at me. If y'all don't know, the first character when he was like, he let free sin, and that's actually a character called Black Adam, the Rock is playing him. It's a new character. So for me, knowing that, it was that in Adam, sin and death was introduced into the world. It happened in that first part, right? Then we saw that in the, sec in the ending of that, where Billy uh, was told, you know, that, that, uh, that he would need to open up his heart after he was transformed, open up his heart and use his greatest power. We can parallel that uh, with 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, you know, that faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these being love, right? But that's not the point that I'm trying to cover to. There are two specific things that happens in this scene. The first was that Billy was told that he was chosen as champion, but his response was, I'm unworthy. He ignored the fact that he was singled out for good works, purpose to be more than he could ever imagine, and when presented with the opportunity to be more, the only thing his heart focused on was his unworthiness. In this scene, Billy echoes how most of us have felt at one time or another as believers, overlooking what the Lord offers us because we can't get past the past that he already paid for. See, now the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that in Christ that we are made new creatures, that all things pass away, that all things are made new. Can you say all things? All things. All things. Not some things, big things, small things, fat things, all things are made new. Which leads me to my first point in the scene. There is power when you call on a name. See, when I first saw that scene in my head, in the theaters, I was like, yo! 
this is crazy. Because to me, that scene parallels the life of a believer when we called on the name of Jesus. The transformation that happened on the inside out when we called on the name of Jesus. Right? What was fiction to them is a reality to us. See, when we call on the name of Jesus, the healed are broken. The healed, excuse me, the broken are healed. When we call upon the name of Jesus, marriages are restored. When we call on the name of Jesus, those who feel like that they are fostered become adopted. When we call upon the name of Jesus, those who feel unloved come into a love that they've never encountered before. When we call upon the name of Jesus, there's freedom. We call upon the name. The name that causes enemies to flee. The name that they want to keep out of the schools. The name they want to keep out of the court. The name they want to censor in the media. The name that is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. The name that causes our brothers and sisters all over the Eastern Church to be martyred every single day. In the face of death and persecution. In the face of taking their homes being gone away and being imprisoned and being beaten they still get released and boldly say, Jesus Christ is the truth, the life, and the way. Why is that? Because there's power in the name, right? Romans 1.16 states that, that, that whew, excuse me, Father God, please forgive me. It says that I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of salvation unto men, right? And that's the power that we as believers all have the ability to tap into. It's a power that's an unlimited power source. We out here, fossil fuel is, is, is disappearing and gas is running up, but there's a source that we can plug into that is limitless and never-ending, and that is the power of the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right? Now, there's a reason why we can call upon that now name and, and, and demons flee, and I, I want to explain to you guys. I, I used to have a roommate by the name of Philly, and Philly was a super-duper. Uh, he might have been a bigger nerd than me. Philly was. That's my guy, though. But Philly had transformers from the floor to the ceiling. <laughs> I'm sorry, he had a transformer bed. He had transformer, uh, I, don't, I didn't check if he had transformer drawers, but he probably did, you know what I'm saying? But he was, he was a transformer fan. And when we were roommates, although that he was not a believer, we would sit out, we would eat, he would come to my shows, my concerts, he would come out to Bible studies, and we would grow and do fellowship, you know what I mean? And one time we were sitting down and we were eating, and Philly, uh, he, he said to me, you know, Richard, you know, I'm still on my faith journey, but one thing that I can tell you is I believe that Jesus is the truth. And I said, well, how can you tell that Jesus is the truth? He said that in my family, there are atheists, there are agnostics, there are Buddhists, there are people who are Muslim, there are Hebrew Israelites, and everybody comes together. Every time they come together at family events, they all talk about Jesus. They don't, you don't see the Muslims fighting with the Buddhists. You don't see the atheists throwing, fighting with the agnostics or arguing or tearing down Muhammad's name or Buddha. It's only the name of Jesus. And he said that because I know that there's power in the name, those who are powerless feel threatened by it. And that, I took that with me forever. But there's something that happens not only when we call on the name of Jesus, not only are we transformed into something new, but we also become part of a new family. Now, last week, Paul showed modern family, and it was about the messiness 
of family. And the big takeaway was God doesn't foster. So if you haven't had a chance to watch that sermon, I, I, please do. Anyway, I'm going I'm to take some clips out of them and make, make a jam for you. It's, it's really dope. You know what I'm saying? But said that, that scene, that point was, was phenomenal to me because God doesn't foster. We are adopted into the family of God, right? Well, this next scene that I'm going to show you, it relates to that theme, but from a different point of view. You can show the clip. Yes, I will never try that as long as Colgate exists, right? But the, the thing that I wanted to draw from that scene is that sometimes entering into a new family can become agitating if we allow it to be. Sometimes being adopted into a family that's different than you or a family that seems to have it all together will make you feel like more of an outsider. And most of the time, the feelings that we feel in that moment are due to the two C's that have plagued the church and new believers from the very beginning, condemnation and comparison. See, now we know that there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus, but we tend to compare ourselves to the people around us and make them the measuring stick for our spiritual growth and wind up trying to be more them-like than Christ-like. See, we tend to look at the people in our new family and who they are, and we look at who we are and all that we've been through through the lens of our mistakes and our low points and our regrets, and then we look at them and say, oh my God, they're so knowledgeable about the word, like the Lord put a thumb drive in their back and he downloaded it overnight. You know what I mean? I wish it was. I'd get that app today. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But that ends up causing us to regret, and we look at them and internally perceive a judgment what can lead us to creating a false narrative about them in our hearts. Now, I'm going to be all the way honest with y'all. When I first moved to Albemarle, with me and my wife, we were building our house. I was coming down, and I would see on that hour drive green pastures, and I would see all these Confederate flags, and I would see all this political theme stuff, and I was really would wonder, did we make the right decision coming to Albemarle? Right? I said, um, I said, I love the home that we have. I love the woman that I'm with. I know that God has purposed me to be here because the way that he provided for us to get that house, okay. <laughs> you know, let's see, a, a house in the pandemic with me not having a job, would be what? The Lord is good. Let me tell you something, right? But I question whether or not Albemarle was the place for me. Then we were here and I was looking for churches and I visited a couple and I said, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing with those men of God. Lord, I thank you for how you're feeding that flock, but what's there is not for me. And then I drove past the gathering and I saw the the sign and I said, man, this church looks too clean. It's an elevate. Look at them elevation color schemes. I don't know if I can be. (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying because I'm looking for hope over hype. Right? And I passed by the church about six or seven times. I was like, you know what? The Lord put on my heart, just go. And when I went, I was greeted at the door by a six foot two brother with a push broom Mario mustache who opened his arms up and greeted me with a hug like we've been brothers our entire life. Followed by an older, more seasoned, but vintage, I'm going to say vintage, a vintage brother. 
And he took, he shook my hand and said, we were in prayer today and God said that he was sending someone new. I thank you for being obedient. And then I came into the door and service was phenomenal and Paul brought an awesome word. He didn't even, he he wasn't like, hi, I didn't even know he was the pastor until after he was like, hi, I'm Paul the pastor. I was like, for real? You know what I'm saying? Because he was, he was leading worship. You know what I'm saying? And then he, he got up to preach, and I was like, it's a phenomenal place. And then afterwards, said Richard, said back there, Richard Kimmer, he went and he said, yo, bro, listen, look at this. Check out the soundboard. We got all the sound. We're, we're about to do a podcast back here. And he gave me the tour of the church, and he was like, anything you want to do here is yours. You're welcome. And that was on my very first day. My first, not my first month, not my year, from the first day, from the door, I was greeted with love and kindness. And if I would have let my perceptions of what Albemarle was going to be or what the gathering was, would be, we wouldn't be here today. See, we let our past experience or our preconceived perspectives lead us to how we operate or interact with certain individuals when it shouldn't be our experience that leads us but rather our expectation of the good work God is doing inside that person. And what happens is that we allow our assumptions to become a seamstress. That's how discord is sown. You see, comparison is the killer of community. See, community is like a salad. Y'all ain't think I know about salads, did (laughs) y'all? But community is like a salad because every ingredient adds value to the experience that we partake in. Every ingredient has its own nutritional value, its own taste, its own texture, its own color, but when brought together and you add some raspberry vinaigrette on top with some bacon bits and some croutons, you might slice some, if you fancy you throw some strawberries in it, I might look at you like you bougie, you throw some strawberries in it, but that may be a prerogative. You know what I mean? But it's when, when we see what it, it is, it creates a unique and enriching experience for those who partake in it. That's what community is, and that's what the big C church is. Well, what it should be. See, we all have our part to play, and there are so many churches today that desire unity, but when a church is about community, then unity happens organically. And you don't have to pull teeth for fellowship it would be something that's desired. Now, Paul, you, you was, and last week I was in the back live because you was, all, you, was in, you was all in my sermon, bro. You was all in my notes and everything. I was like, but that shows that the Lord was lining up everything that was being prepared. Now, you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and 17 that if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But I would go on with 18 to say, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As there are many parts, but one body. One body. It's not talking about your denomination or how you like your music or or how loud you like the cloud or how long you pray. It's one body. But many of us struggle with making comparisons, including myself. Like, let me tell you, today was a difficult day for me because this day has been something that I've been hearing about my entire life. The entire, since I came out the womb, they put a Bible in my hand, was like, this gonna be you. See, my father was an assistant pastor 
back in our home church at One Way Church of Christ in Queens, New York. And he passed in 1998. And after my father passed away, only thing that I heard every single day was, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to follow his mantle. You're going to have a church. You're going to be a big bishop. You got all these, these big ideas for you're going to follow in his footsteps. And I would look at the man that he was, as great as he was, as awesome as he was, an evangelist and a, and a preacher of the word of God. I would look at everything that he was and say, how could I be that? How could I be what my father was? And I didn't even feel like I was worthy to be his son sometimes. Right? But in doing so, what I was overlooking by comparing myself to who my father was is I was overlooking the man that God was creating me to be. Now, both of us stand on stage and with a microphone and we both preach. Mine just happened to be with rap music. (laughs) It's not the word of God. But the call is still the same to win the loss and to have them come to Jesus. Now, we look at being used, though, when it comes to being compared. A lot of it comes down to our view of how we desire to be used. And any man that wants to repair something in our toolbox, there are two trusty tools that we have, Philip's head and a flathead. Right, these are the most used to anything in the house. You got it, your cabinet's broke, your toilet broke, I can fix everything with flathead and a Phillips head. But some jobs need an Allen wrench. And if you shop at Ikea, everything needs an Allen wrench. <laughs> but our father has purposely made you the Allen wrench in your current environment. And there are specific people in your life and specific situations that you were uniquely created for where you would be more useful tool in the hands of God than a T.D. Jakes or a Francis Chan or a Billy Graham or a Paul Jenkins. So I came here to tell somebody today to be confident in who you were made to be. Because when we are confident in who we are in Christ as unique individuals, who were carefully crafted in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made, we can easily break free from the bondage of comparison and condemnation. Which leads me to my third scene, sir. So that scene brings me to my third point. Don't leave behind the broken. Now we can be transformed and made new and easily overlook those who aren't. It's easy for us to look at that scene and parallel many of our experiences with friends and families when we get saved. We can be so caught up in our new position, in our new power, that we begin to ignore the very same people that we were sent to witness to. So when we run into them, it's a new phone, who this experience. For y'all who's unfamiliar with new phone, who this? It's an expression that means I have a new phone, a new number, a new life, and you're not in it. And that's the way that we interact with people when we get into this new position when the only position that we should be in when it comes to dealing with people is prostrate before the Lord. That should be our favorite position, being prostrate before the Lord, right? 
Now, I was once in a Bible study group, and there was a young lady who was talking about a, a girl at her job, and she said, every single day, this girl comes up to me, and she complains about life, and she complains about her husband, and she complains about everything that's going on in her life, and I hate her, she's so negative, and I just wish she would just go somewhere. And everybody else in the Bible study group was like, well, girl, you need to cut her off. You don't need that negativity in your life. And my first response to her was, are you a believer? She said, yeah. I was like, then there's a light in you that her darkness is being drawn to. She's trying to come out of her darkness, and she's being drawn to the light that Christ has illuminated in you. But we can't get past our flesh to hear the, fresh, the freshness that the Lord is, 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 is putting into us. Sometimes we're just there to listen and wait. And when the Lord speaks, we give the response that can help to deliver them. But we're too caught up in our feelings sometimes. We're impatient. We get saved and we get around other believers. We fill our cups with living water. Then we leave with a full glass and walk by thirsty people all week long. Then we come back to the church we pour that water out and refill our cups. So instead of the church being an oasis in a land of dry bones, some churches have chosen to become private pool parties with paid memberships, more concerned with filling their activity calendars than they are for filling the Great Commission. So how should we encounter the broken? When we see wounded and hurt broken people around us, we should be compelled to act like the four brothers in Mark 2 who climbed on a roof and lowered down an entire bed so that their friend would have an encounter with Jesus and be made whole. Now, some of us got issues asking our friends to help us move couches, move some furniture. They say, my back hurt. Due to my size, I'm always the friend they call, though. So. <laughs> right, another example of this would be with Mephibosheth. Did I say it right, Nana? Did I say it right? All right, okay, okay. My Nana would tell me, she said, you gave that name. That's the name right there. Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel 9, when he was king, he was King Saul's grandson and the son of David's BFF, Jonathan. And after David was king, he asked if there was anybody left alive in the house of Saul that he could show kindness to because of the promise that he made to Jonathan. Now, we know that at that time that when a new king was set, Everybody else from the old lineage had to be wiped out. And when Mephibosheth was, was a, a baby, he said, they came and they, they took him from the palace and they ran. And he was broken, he dropped down and he got injured and he was handicapped. So he was there when, when they asked, they said, well, there anybody left in the house of Saul that he could show kindness to? The only one that was left was Mephibosheth who couldn't walk and was handicapped and he lived in Lodabar, which was poverty-stricken, and was like Skid Row is out in L.A. today. As the kids would say, he was down bad, right? Even the place, the name, low the bar. How low can the bar go? <laughs> At the lowest the bar was, that's where he was, right? But when David sent him to come to the palace in verse 7, not only did he show kindness to him on behalf of his father Jonathan, but he also restored all Saul's land to him, gave him a place to eat at the king's table every single day for the rest of his life. Free food forever, sign me up. <laughs> but every time they ate, someone had to bring him to the table. Every single meal, someone had to bring him to the table. 
And at one point, we were all Mephibosheth and Lodabar until the love of Christ brought us to the table. And every day, he continues to bring us to the table with new grace and new mercy that he gives us on a daily. The issue happens when we get comfortable at our place at the table and forget that we came from where our brokers and brothers and sisters are still. That's why I love the table out there that we built for Nehemiah. Because it's a reminder that love has built a table for us where anybody can sit. Right? Now, I want you guys to put up a photo of Ryan. Right? There's a photo. There's a guy named Ryan Sweetler. Ryan is a former reverend and co-founder of the South African Satanic Church. He stepped down from his position in May and recently shared his testimony about being saved and being one of Jesus. Now, Swigger, he was involved in Christian ministry for 20 years before becoming an atheist, and he recalled what drew him to Satanism four years ago. He says that I got involved with Satanism because at the time it resonated with me being very broken and sad without realizing it. I think that the reason a lot of people resonate with Satanism is because they come from a very broken place. He said, I've met thousands of Satanists over the last three years, and I'm not saying the attentions are bad. They're extremely broken, extremely hurt people, and that's all we have in common. But we know that there's healing in the name of Jesus. Now, he came to point out, he said that I've never known unconditional love my whole life, and up until today, there's only four Christians in my whole entire life that has shown me what love is. He pointed out that love was shown to him during a time where he defined himself as being a monster and an ugly person. He did an interview with a woman, and after the interview, they got into a discussion, and he said, I don't believe Jesus ever existed. I don't believe Jesus was real. I believe that Jesus is fake. There's nothing that I want to do with him. You can't offer me anything. And the lady listened to him, she gave him a hug, and she went about her way. But when she hugged him, something on the inside shifted. He said, that was something when she hugged me I've never felt before. See, a lot of people, I say this, a lot of people, we come to church, but we never come to Jesus. So when we have an encounter with the real thing, it's something like we've never felt before. Right? So he said that, that I looked her up on WhatsApp. I'm, I'm, still on what, I'm still not on WhatsApp. I don't know what app that is. I'm still on WhatsApp. And he said that I saw that she was a Christian, and that threw me. He says, because I never knew how bad I talked about Jesus. She sat there and still embraced me. Amen. He said, that stayed with me. A week later, he was trying to do a satanic ritual to gain more power and influence as a Satanist. And right before he can even get into the ritual, he says, the Lord appeared before him. And he said that he was overwhelmed with the same feeling of love that he had when that lady hugged him. He put in his resignation, left the satanic church, here's the goodbye, and began to share his testimony about how Jesus saves. But the book behind him, by the way, says, Holy Spirit, expect miracles. All right. Now, we know that David wrote in Psalms 23, 5, that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. But what I'm about to say is going to be all the way out of context. See, I believe that when God prepares a table for us, for our enemies, it's not for us to boast and flex and be like, look what I got. I got this new house. I got this new car. You starving. I'm eating all the Popeye's chicken because Popeye's is better than Bojangles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? And we're not saying, hey, that you guys are starving, you guys are down bad, and look how God is lifting me up above you. When we are at the table before our enemies, 
It's for us to say, hey, I was on the other side of this table as an enemy of God before his love transformed me and impacted me. And let me share with you in kindness and love so that you too can experience to how to become from a foe to a member of the family. In our time of brokenness, we were enemies. But now, we are sons and daughters and heirs to the throne with Christ. Which brings us up to our last scene, sir. Yo, that is my favorite scene in the movie. I, I jumped out of my seat when I saw that scene. Because how many of us have family members that are just like that? That are prisoners to sin. Death on the verge of taking them out. And the only one that has empowered to bring a word to them that can rescue them, that can set them free, is you. The only thing that can transform them into something more than a conqueror is you. I'm reminded of when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts chapter 16. And how the jailer had witnessed God's power on display when they were singing and jail shook open. And he was about to kill himself because he's like, oh, snap, I'm going to lose my job. Before y'all do it, I'm going to do it myself. But Paul was like, wait, chill, everybody here, bro. Relax. We good. And the jailer, he saw what had happened and witnessed the power of God on display. And he asked that the gospel be shared not only with him, but his entire household. His whole house was saved and baptized that very night. Verse 34 says that the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, we all know the parable of the sower. Each and every single person in this building has seeds to plant. And every seed that we plant, we pray, falls on good ground. But anybody who has done any yard work knows that sometimes you have to till the ground before you plant the seed. And it takes time and effort to do so. But once the seed is planted, just sit back, water it with the word, and allow God to add the increase in his timing because his timing is perfect, and he will do it. You know why? Because he loved us the same way that he loved them while they are yet sinned. Amen. So, four questions that I have as we close today. Are you struggling today with feeling worthy enough to call on the name? Do you still wrestle with comparing yourself to the people around you? Have you stepped over the broken to get to the front row of the church? And do you have family members who are in the clutches of sin that desire to be free? If that's you, I invite you at this altar today. And where I'll be joining you because some of those same things, comparison, and I have family members, and I've stepped over the broken to get to the front row of the church. All the things that I've asked, all the questions that I'm able to answer Yes to, but if you would come to the altar today, if you want deliverance, if you want freedom, if you want to go before the Lord on behalf of your family member, all it takes is one simple yes. Will you say yes today? Will you say yes? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, church, let's stand up together. What a powerful word that we heard this morning. And if you haven't heard us say this in a while, let me just tell you this one more time. Simple obedience produces supernatural outcomes. That's what so-so stands for, right? Simple obedience, supernatural outcomes. And whatever you have just said yes to, and that's what God's after, right? You say yes and take a step of obedience in that one area, and God begins to unlock all the other things that you and I can't control. Mm, man. Hey, like Richard, cut right. Nice try. You killed that, man. None of us are surprised right? None of us are surprised. Man, that was a powerful, powerful word. Thank you so much just for being obedient. Like your simple obedience, right, is today producing supernatural outcomes in us. And we just want to say thank you. Give him one more big hand, y'all. Come on. I don't even know what to say about that. Man, any time, right? That was just an amazing morning. Come on, would you stretch your hands to the Lord? I'm going to pray us out of here. If you're like me, your soul is full. Man, my soul is full. Mm. And our souls this morning, God, they testify of your goodness, of how you have met us in this place. We thank you, God, that you have blessed this house with Richard and Vicki Cutright. Thank you for sending them to us, God. Thank you for enriching our body through them, God. Thank you for bringing family together at one table, God, where we can eat of your goodness and of your supply. Lord, I thank you that we walk out of here with the power of the name this morning, and we refuse to just think it. God, we're going to speak the name. We're going to speak the name of Jesus. It is at that name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so our lives, God, from this moment forward are lived to glorify the name of Jesus. Produce supernatural outcomes through us, God, as we do. It is in your mighty name that we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord one more big hand. Man, what a good God he is, y'all.